Peace be upon you. God's message for all of human history to mankind has been one thing. It's simply to worship God alone. We see in the Quran that prior to our coming here on earth, we all made the testimony that we will worship God alone. It reads in Surah 7 verse 172, it says, Recall that your Lord summoned all the descendants of Adam and had them bear witness for themselves. Am I not your Lord? They all said, Yes, we bear witness. Thus you cannot say on the day of resurrection, We were not aware of this. So this is the testimony by which our entire life's purpose on this world is based around. Yet despite this, it seems like the devil has been quite effective in leading the masses away from monotheism towards idol worship. One of the most glaring examples of this is the children of Israel's worshipping of the calf, that after they witnessed the numerous miracles, that they still reverted to idol worship the first chance they got. Another example is that of Jesus, that Jesus was sent as a prophet of God, and eventually people started calling him as God's begotten son before they eventually made him into a Godhead as part of a trinity, saying that he's actually God incarnate. In Surah 5 verse 17 it reads, Pagans indeed are those who say that God is the Messiah, the son of Mary. Say, who could oppose God if he willed to annihilate the Messiah's son of Mary and his mother and everyone on earth? To God belongs the sovereignty of the heavens and the earth and everything between them. He creates whatever he wills. God is omnipotent. Here it's stating that the Messiah, son of Mary, has no say in the matter. If God willed to annihilate him, there's nothing he could do to deter God's judgment. It continues in 572, it says, Pagans indeed are those who say that God is the Messiah, son of Mary. The Messiah himself said, O children of Israel, you shall worship God, my Lord and your Lord. Anyone who sets up any idol beside God, God has forbidden paradise for him, and his destiny is hell. The wicked have no helpers. Pagans indeed are those who say that God is a third in a trinity. There is no God except the one God. Unless they refrain from saying this, those who disbelieve among them will incur a painful retribution. Now, most Muslims, they read the Quran, they read these verses, and they assume that it doesn't apply to them. They think that these passages was for the people in the past, and most people, they read this and they feel superior about themselves, that they didn't fall into these traps. And what they fail to realize is that these are forewarnings for the followers of the Quran, that we are not exempt from these warnings. And it doesn't take much self-reflection to realize that the Muslim masses have also fallen to extreme levels of idol worship. God did not put these verses in there for us just to feel good about ourselves. God put it in there for us to be warned not to make the same mistakes because he knew that this is the tendency for most people. And we see how the idol worship subtly gets crept into the religion. In Surah 39 verse 3, it says, Absolutely, the religion shall be devoted to God alone. Those who set up idols beside him say, We idolize them only to bring us closer to God, for they are in a better position. God will judge them regarding their disputes. God does not guide such liars, disbelievers. Most people read this verse, and because the following verse is about uh, the uh, calling Jesus the Son of God, they basically say this verse does not apply to the Muslims. But again, God is citing this example for us to learn from. 
that if we think there is an intermediary between us and God, which they set up with the prophet, then in essence they're falling into the same trap. And if you ask people, why is it that you constantly are in essence sending peace and blessings upon the prophet, they say, well, look, he's in a better position. So if I'm sending my peace and blessing upon the prophet, he will intercede on my behalf on the day of resurrection. But did they stop to reflect that in order for the prophet to be able to do this, we're giving him godlike powers, that he can hear the blessings of all the billions of people from all of history, that he knows who these individuals are going to be on the day of resurrection, and the fact that he can override God's judgment, that God sends someone to hell and the prophet comes in and intercedes and says, no God, this person belongs part of my ummah. This is absurd, and you see this replete in the, the Hadith, and it completely contradicts the verses of God in the Quran. In Surah 39, verse 44, so same chapter, it says, Say, all intercession belongs to God. To Him belongs all sovereignty of the heavens and the earth. Then to Him you will be returned. No one has any say on this matter. The Prophet has no clue who you are, who I am, who any of the billions of Muslims who lived after him are. He's completely oblivious to this. To think that he hears our uh, prayers, he hears our supplications, he hears us sending blessings to him. And then on the day of resurrection, he's going to be able to identify us is absolutely absurd and goes completely against the Quran. And those who do believe this, right, their natural tendency is they say, well, look, this is what the scholars tell us. This is what Bukhari tells us. This is what the Imams tell us. And again, God tells us in the Quran that if we do this, if we set up our scholars and religious leaders as lords beside God in taking their word over God's word, then in essence, we're falling into idol worship. In Surah 9, verse 31, it says, They have set up the religious leaders and scholars as lords instead of God. Others defied the Messiah, Son of Mary. They were all commanded to worship only one God. There is no God except He, be He glorified, high above having any partners. Now, if we say that the prophet is the servant of God, but we're constantly, in essence, attributing things to Him, calling upon Him, sending blessings to Him, then you're no longer calling on God alone we would be ascribing a partner with God. Even if we're saying that this partner is the servant of God, that he's nothing in comparison to God, it doesn't matter. We see that even the pagan Quraysh, according to Hadith, made similar testimonies regarding the entities they were setting up beside God. It reads in Sahih Muslim 1185, Ibn Abbas reported that the polytheist also pronounced, as they uh, circumambulated the uh, Kaaba, Here I am at thy service. There is no associate with thee. The Messenger Allah said, Woe be upon them. Stop, stop. As they also said, But one associate with thee, you possess mastery over him, but he does not possess mastery over you. They used to say this as they circumambulate the Kaaba. So in this hadith, it's saying that this is what the Quraysh, the pagans, were saying at that time. That they said, look, God is the ultimate God. He has partners, but these partners, they don't have any power. What's the difference between that and what most Muslims do today? Right? They say, oh no, the Prophet is the servant of God. But they're constantly commemorating, sending blessings upon the Prophet, calling upon the Prophet. You go into any masjid, what do you see up on the walls? The names of God and the Prophet. And if you didn't know Arabic, you wouldn't know which one's which. You go to, uh, to a sermon, and the vast majority of time, they're talking about who? The prophet. They're not talking about God. Most of the, the, the commentary is about the hadith. It's about the life of the prophet. They think that, in essence, the way to salvation is through the prophet. They're setting up an intermediary with God. And this is inundated 
every facet of the religion. Start with the very first pillar of Islam, the Shahada. 30 plus times in the Quran, it informs us the Shahada is simply, there is no other God beside God. It's most clearly articulated in Surah 3, verse 18. It says, God bears witness. There is no God except He, and so do the angels and those who possess knowledge. Truthfully and equitably, He is the absolute God. There is no God but He, the Almighty, most wise. Right? This is the Shahada, the testimony of God, the angels, and the knowledgeable, and the Prophet Himself. We see again in Surah 47, this is entitled Muhammad, verse 19, it says, You shall know that there is no God beside God, and ask forgiveness for your sins and the sins of all believing men and women. God is fully aware of your decisions and your ultimate destiny. So here we see again 30 plus times in the Quran, it says that the Shahada is very simple, that it's only the mentioning of God alone. But consult the Muslim masses, and they will advise you against the Shahada of God, the angels, and the knowledgeable. And instead to recite the Shahada Teen, the dual Shahada, where in addition to saying, I bear witness, there's no God beside God, they mandate that one has to say that they bear witness that Muhammad is the messenger of God. Ironically, this Shahada, the bearing witness that Muhammad is a messenger of God, only occurs once in the Quran. And this is Surah 63 of the Quran entitled, The Hypocrites. And it reads in the first verse of the Surah Hypocrites, it says, when the hypocrites come to you, they say, we bear witness that you are the messenger of God. And it says, God knows that you are his messenger and God bears witness that the hypocrites are liars. Now, God is telling us in very staunch terms that this is the Shahada of the hypocrites. Now, we've done many episodes regarding why this Shahada is, is false, but the very simple fact is this is not the Shahada that God is telling all of humankind that they're responsible for. They've added another name in the Shahada next to that of God. If we truly worship God alone, we should be absolutely satisfied with the mention of God alone. We should not feel inclined to add any other names next to that of God's. In Surah 39 verse 45 it says, When God alone is mentioned, the hearts of those who do not believe in the hereafter shrink with aversion. But when others are mentioned beside Him, they become satisfied. If we want to know if we worship God alone, we have to see, are we satisfied with the mention of God alone? If we're only satisfied when some other entity, be it the servant of God, is mentioned next to God, then it shows that we have idol worshiping within us and we need to rid ourselves of that. What's interesting is, historically, this Shahada team is not found in any inscriptions until the fifth Umayyad Khalif, uh, Abdul Malik. And he's the son of Marwan, who again, in a previous episode, we saw was the chief conspirator that led to the assassination of Uthman. These people have corrupted the religion, and future generations just took it hook, line, and sinker. Consider that the Hajj pilgrimage, this is the pilgrimage that we do because God has commanded us to worship God. This is the entire purpose of the pilgrimage. Most people, when they go to Mecca to see God's sacred shrine, they make a pit stop and they go to Medina to see the Masjid of the Prophet which contains the tomb of the Prophet. So this simple act that is supposed to be dedicated, devoted to God alone, has now been corrupted by adding another step in the Hajj to go and see the tomb of the Prophet, send prayers at the tomb. You think of this, this is pagan worship. We're giving power to the dust that's left from the messenger's body. Ironically, even in the Hadith, it's well documented, the Prophet cursed 
the Jews and Christians for turning their places of worship out of the graves of their prophets. This is encompassed in Bukhari 435. It reads, at the time of death, the prophet, uh, he made this statement, says, May Allah curse the Jews and Christians, for they built the places of worship at the graves of their prophet. The prophet was warning Muslims of what those had done. Yet how did we come to turn the tomb of the prophet into a place of worship? Doing the very things that supposedly this hadith that people follow, they completely uh, conflict with. But not only that, that they make this into a step during Hajj. That most people, when they go to Hajj, they make a pit stop. They say, hey, let's just go to Medina. Let's go check out the Prophet's tomb. Let's send some blessings there. Let's do a couple uh, rakats of Salat. What's going on? I mean, this is a pagan act. We should condemn such things. When you go to Hajj, it should be dedicated to God alone. You know, ironically, the history as far as how the Prophet's tomb got combined with the Masjid happened by the sixth Khalifa, the son of Abdul Malik, Al-Walid. And he expanded the mosque to include the Prophet's tomb. Now again, people have just continued to follow blindly into this. They continue with these traditions and they don't stop to ask, is this what the Prophet wanted? Is this what God commands us to do? God in the Quran tells us that the places of worship belong to God alone and not to call on anyone else beside God. Now you step into any masjid today, the vast majority of them, up on the walls, prominent up top and center, you have the names of God, Allah, right next to the name Muhammad. And if you didn't know how to read Arabic, you wouldn't have any clue which one is God and which one is God's servant. And this is how it looks in the eyes of the people. Now, some people are going to argue, they're going to say, no, this is call as far as like supplicate and send uh, invocations. Uh, this does not mean to send blessings upon the Prophet. That's something different. Now, what's interesting is this word da'wah has two meanings. One is that to call upon, right, to invoke. The other one is that to invite. Now, we might say, hey, this, this invocation, this is only meant for God. But imagine this. If I invite you to my house and I say, come alone, okay? If you bring your servant, did you come alone? Right? The invitation was for you alone. This is what we're doing. When we invite God into our lives, we have to call upon Him alone. We do not call upon Him and His servant. The second we do that, we're setting up an entity next to God, even if we claim that this entity has no power. But what we see is that no, they give all kinds of godly powers to the prophet that even the pagan Quraysh wouldn't do to their uh, idols. And we see this idolization of the prophet is nothing new. It was taking place during the life of the Prophet himself. In Sahih Bukhari, we read this narration regarding a statement that Abu Bakr made to the people after the passing of the Prophet. It reads, Whoever amongst you worshipped Muhammad, then Muhammad is dead. But whoever worshipped Allah, Allah is alive and will never die. Some may assume this was meant just as a reminder for the people about the foundation of their belief. Still, there's much evidence that some of the companions living amongst the Prophet were idol worshippers and hypocrites. This is specified in Surah 9, which is the last major revelation given to the Prophet before he died. In Surah 9, verse 101, it reads, Among the Arabs around you, there are hypocrites. Also among the city dwellers, there are those who are accustomed to hypocrisy. You do not know them, but we know them. We will double the retribution for them. Then they end up committed to a terrible retribution. 
So in one of the last revelations given to the prophet, God is informing him that among the Arabs and among the Midian, the, the, the people of the city, uh, that there's hypocrites among them and he does not know who they are. But God knows. And it continues in Surah 9, verse 107. It says, there are those who abuse the masjid by practicing idol worship, dividing the believers and providing comfort to those who oppose God and his messenger. They solemnly swear our intentions are honorable. God bears witness that they are liars. So up until the prophet's death, there were individuals claiming to be believers, sitting in the masjids, practicing idol worship, and swearing that their intentions are honorable. So this problem dates back even at the time of the prophet. Additionally, we see that historically after prophet's death, several factions broke out, each claiming to follow new prophets bearing new revelations. And since Muhammad was the final prophet, these individuals making such claims were committing one of the worst sins. This led to the Rida of Wars, which is the apostasy wars that took place during the reign of Abu Bakr. In Surah 6 verse 93, it says, Who is more evil than one who fabricates lies and attributes them to God? Or says, I have received divine inspiration when no such inspiration was given to him. Or says, I can write the same as God's revelations. If only you could see the transgressors at the time of death. The angels extend their hands to them, saying, Let go of your souls. Today you have incurred a shameful retribution for saying about God other than the truth and for being too arrogant to accept his revelations. So this shows that again, among the companions of the prophet up until his death and continuing on, there were very devout idol worshippers who treated the prophet as an idol, and the second that he died, they moved on to some other idol. Many of these idol-worshipping hypocrites continued their idol-worshipping ways and claiming to follow the same faith as the prophet, and they infused their idol-worship into the practices. And we see this in the Hadith narrations of just how they were elevating the prophet's status beyond what is stated in the Quran in order to glorify him, in order to idolize him. So for instance, according to the Hadith, the Prophet was able to see heaven and hell. Uh, he was able to uh, know the fate of individuals, to know when they're going to die, how they're going to die, to know the expansion plans of the Muslim Ummah. But if you look at the Quran, right, it specifically says that he did not know these, this information. In Surah 6 verse 50 it says, Say, I do not say to you that I possess the treasures of God, nor do I know the future. And this word for future is ghaib. This means the unseen. Nor do I say to you that I am an angel. I simply follow what is revealed to me. Say, is the blind the same as the seer? Do not reflect. In Surah 7 verse 188 it says, Say, I have no power to benefit myself or harm myself. Only what God wills happens to me. If I knew the future, I would have increased my wealth and no harm would have afflicted me. I am no more than a warner and a bearer of good news for those who believe. In Surah 31, verse 34, it says, With God is the knowledge regarding the hour and of the world. He is the one who sends down the rain, and he knows the contents of the womb. No soul knows what will happen to it tomorrow, and no one knows in which land he or she will die. God is omniscient, cognizant. What's funny about this is this Hadith literature attributed to the Prophet in these prophetic Hadith, they all seem to come to an end once Hadith criticisms becomes more prevalent. 
So when people started checking the quote-unquote Isnad, the chain of narrators, you see that there's no more prophetic hadith in the uh, immediate time frame. That the only ones that are left are these very kind of archaic ones regarding the end of the world. We see that the Prophet had other additional powers that were granted to him that were beyond human capability where he could not only see the jinns and the devil, but he could wrestle with him as well. In Sahih Bukhari 1210, it reads, The Prophet once offered a prayer and said, Satan came in front of me and tried to interrupt my prayer, but Allah gave me an upper hand on him and I choked him. No doubt, I thought of tying him to one of the pillars of the mosque till you get up in the morning and see him. Then I remembered the statement of Prophet Solomon, My Lord, bestow on me a kingdom such as shall not belong to any other after me. Then Allah made him, Satan, return with his head down, humiliated. So they're attributing these character traits to the Prophet to make him beyond human, that he wrestled the devil, that he tied him to a pillar, he left him humiliated. You know, we see in Surah 7, verse 27, it says, O children of Adam, you know, was Muhammad a child of Adam? Yes. It says, do not let the, let the devil dupe you as he did when he caused the eviction of your parents from paradise and the removal of their garments to expose their bodies. And it says here, it says, he and his tribe see you while you do not see them. We appoint the devils as companions of those who do not believe. So if all of a sudden, you know, the Prophet had these powers that were beyond what was specified that he had in the Quran, it shows that they're elevating his status. But we see that it's, it gets even more ridiculous. You know, there's hadith that claim that the Prophet did not require food and drink, that he was not like regular mortals. And this is in Sahih Bukhari, uh, 1965. In Sahih Muslim, 426, it claims that the Prophet could see behind him, that he had eyes in the back of his head, that nothing got past him. Again, they're giving these superhuman qualities to the Prophet. And we see in Surah 17, verse 90 through 93, that this was because they were dissatisfied with the Prophet. They wanted to elevate his status beyond what he was uh, given by God. It says, they said, we will not believe you unless you cause a spring to gush out of the ground or unless you cause masses from the sky as you claim to fall on us or unless you bring God and the angels before our eyes or unless you own a luxurious mansion or unless you climb into the sky. Even if you do climb, we will not believe unless you bring a book that we can read. Say, glory be to my Lord. Am I any more than a human messenger? That's all the prophet was. He was a human messenger and he had one sole function, which was to deliver this Quran. And the elevation and idolization of the prophet in the Hadith literature gets worse. In another alarming Hadith, this is from Sahih Muslim, we see that one of the heavy narrators of the Hadith, Abu Masud, gave more sympathy to one who sought refuge in Muhammad rather than God. It reads in Sahih Muslim 1659, it says, Abu Masud reported that he had been beating his slave, and he had been saying, so the slave said, I seek refuge in Allah, but he continued to beat him, whereupon, he said, I seek refuge in Allah's messenger, and he spared him. Thereupon, Allah's messenger said, By Allah, God has more dominance over you than you have over him, the slave. He said that, and he set him free. For any strict monotheist, that hadith should just set up alarm bells left and right. The fact that this person was seeking refuge in God and got no mercy, but the second he seeks refuge in the messenger of God, all of a sudden he gets mercy. The fact that the messenger, the prophet, did not correct such an utterance 
is saying that in essence he didn't have a problem with it, but only in the fact that he was beating his slave, that he was fine with what the slave said and the reason for why he was spared. Now this is beyond blasphemous. What's the difference between that and those who implore Jesus to spare them, for Jesus for salvation? But it gets even worse. There's a couple hadith that talk about the names of the prophet. And these are names that should be attributed only to God alone. In Sahih Bukhari 3116, it says Allah's Messenger said, If Allah wants to do good for somebody, He makes him comprehend the religion. Allah is the giver, and I am Al-Qasim, the distributor. And this nation will remain victorious over their opponents till Allah's order comes and they will still be victorious. According to this hadith, the Prophet is saying one of his names is Al-Ghasim, the distributor. It's obvious that the only distributor, the best distributor, the only one who's worthy of this title is God alone. Because God is the only one who provides and chooses. In Surah 51, verse 58, it says, God is the provider, the possessor of all power, the supreme. In Surah 34, verse 39, it says, Say, My Lord is the one who controls all provisions. He increases the provisions for whomever He chooses from among His servants or reduces them. Anything you spend in the cause of God, He will reward you for it. He is the best provider. To give this name, this Al-Qasim, to the Prophet as opposed to God alone is beyond blasphemous. In Surah 28, verse 68, it says, Your Lord is the one who creates whatever He wills and chooses. No one else does any choosing. Glory be to God, the most exalted. He is far above needing partners. If God willed to annihilate the prophet and every single entity on this planet, he can do it in an instant. He doesn't need to consult anyone about this. If God wills any blessing for any person, he alone is the one who can give it irrespective of what other people try to do to stop God's blessings. To say that the prophet is the distributor is to give the likeness of God to that of the prophet. God be glorified. It continues with other names of the Prophet. This is Sahih Bukhari 3532. It says, Allah's Messenger said, I have five names. I am Muhammad and Ahmad. I am Al-Mahi, the Eraser, through whom Allah will eliminate infidelity. I am Al-Hashir, the Summoner, who will be the first to be resurrected, the people being resurrected thereafter. And I am Al-Aqib, the last. These names are so blasphemous to be attributed to anyone except God. God alone is Al-Mahi, the eraser. Because God alone who erases whatever He wills. In Surah 13 verse 39 says, God erases whatever He wills and fixes. With Him is the original master record. No one else has this authority to erase sins. Only God can do that. The Hadith also claims that the Prophet claimed to say that he's Al-Hashir, the Summoner. God alone is the Summoner. In Surah 25 verse 17, it says, On the day when he summons them, together with the idols they had set up beside God, he will say, Have you misled these servants of mine? Or did they go astray on their own? God is the one who summons, not the Prophet. God alone. To attribute this name to anyone other than God, specifically in reference to the hereafter, is absolutely blasphemous. And this last name, Al-Aqib, 
In the Hadith, they translate this word as the last, but this word means more than just last. This word signifies the ultimate outcome, the end result, the final consequence. None of these attributes are applicable to God's servant, but are only applicable to God alone. God is the one who controls all the outcomes. God is the first. God is the last. God is the one who controls all the end results. In Surah 57 verse 3, it says, He is the Alpha, the Omega. He is the outermost and the innermost. He is fully aware of all things. The Quran commands us to say that no one else possesses power beside God. To attribute any of these exaltations to the Prophet beyond what is stated clearly in the Quran is elevating to a status that is putting him as a partner next to God. In Surah 34 verse 22 it says, Say, implore the idols you have set up beside God. They do not possess as much as a single atom in the heavens and the earth. They possess no partnership therein, nor does he permit them to be his assistants. God does not need any partners. God does not need any assistants. God does not need any advisors. It continues in Surah 10 verse 32 it says, Such is God, your rightful Lord. What is there after the truth except falsehood? How could you disregard all this? God gave us the perfect book. God gave us all the examples we need. But there's this human tendency to want to worship idols, to elevate these idols to the status that they become rivals with God. This is why the Quran consistently reminds people to examine what we inherited from past generations. Don't accept this information blindly because these people had fancy titles or they lived at a closer timeline to the Prophet. That has no bearing whatsoever. Our responsibility is to examine this information. That's the reason the Quran is constantly warning us from people who failed to take heed of this, that they accept these, these understandings blindly. In Surah 2 verse 170 and 171, it says, When they are told, follow what God has revealed herein, they say, we follow only what we found our parents doing. What if their parents did not understand and were not guided? You think about the heinous acts that are attributed to the Prophet that people justify today based on what they find in the Hadith literature. These people are committing a blasphemy. They're attributing lies to God. In Surah 7 verse 28 through 30, it says they commit a gross sin. Then they say, we found our parents doing this and God has commanded us to do it. Say, God never advocates sin. Are you saying about God what you do not know? Say, my Lord advocates justice and to stand devoted to Him alone at every place of worship. You shall devote your worship absolutely to Him alone, just as He initiated you. You will ultimately go back to Him. Some He guided while others are committed to straying. They have taken their devils as their masters instead of God, yet they believe that they are guided. God warns us in the Quran, in Surah 6, verse 112 through 116, it says, We have permitted the enemies of every prophet, human and jinn devils, to inspire each other fancy words in order to deceive. Had your Lord willed, they would not have done it. You shall disregard them and their fabrications. So this is part of God's system. It says, This is to let the minds of those who do not believe in the hereafter listen to such fabrications and accept them, and thus expose their real convictions. And God confirms this, shall I seek other than God as a source of law when he has revealed to you this book fully detailed. Those who receive the scripture recognize that it has been revealed from your Lord truthfully. You shall not harbor any doubt. The word of your Lord is complete in truth and justice. Nothing shall abrogate his words. He is the hear, the omniscient. And God gives us 
This dire warning says if you obey the majority of people on earth, they will divert you from the path of God. They follow only conjecture. They only guess. On the day of resurrection, the only sin that God says he will not forgive if we maintain until death is idol worship. That's why we have to do everything we can to assess our beliefs, to assess our religious practices, to make sure that there is not one ounce, one hint of idol worship in anything we do, lest we nullify our works. In Surah 12 verse 106 says, The majority of those who believe in God do not do so without committing idol worship. Let's not fall into that trap. God has given us the hearing, the eyesight, the brain. He's given us this perfect book. And if we just focus on being sincerely devoted to God alone, God guarantees that he'll redeem us, he'll purify our souls, and we'll have a perfect life in this world and in the hereafter. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys want to get in contact, please join us on our Discord server. We have thousands of members, thriving conversations. It would be a blessing to have you join us. If you want to follow on the verses of the Quran, please go to the Quran Study app on the iOS app store. If you don't have an iOS device, you can go to QuranStudyApp.com. And if you want the notes from today's talk to, to reference all the material, you can go to Quran Talk blog. And if you want additional information, you can go to Chronic Labs. And until next time, peace and God bless.